We uh, just came off, uh, this past week, we just came off of our uh, annual elders and uh, lead staff team retreat. And uh, I, I want to tell you this, there's 19 of us that are on this team between the elders and the lead staff of the, of the church. And uh, we had such a wonderful time being together. But as I was coming home, I just was looking around at all of the, the folks that are part of this team. And I just thought to myself, there's not one person on this group that I actually dislike. I mean, I love, all, it's like, I like everyone. And, and I thought, there's not a person that dislikes someone else. And which, I, you got to understand, in the church world, that is rare, Okay. So, I mean, I want you to, we, I thought this is healthy. I mean, it's such unity, and there's, we're, we're truly blessed. I want you to know that as a church, to have a group of elders, to have a, a, a lead staff, um, our stewardship team, that truly love people, that truly love not just you, but they love each other. And uh, we had just a wonderful time together, and uh, there's just such a sense of healthiness there. And so just be praying for them. We're going to introduce all of them next week. We'll have all of them on the stage so we can, uh, every year as we get into a new uh, ministry year, we, we take a morning and commission all of our elders. And th- this time I'm going to bring up our lead staff as well and so you get a chance to see them. So I hope all of you had a great week and, and uh, that I know many of you have been back in school and some of you are going back to school this coming week. So lots of, uh, lots of stuff going on. But I want to take a moment. I want us to bow our heads for a moment. This, uh, this is a very uh, heavy message this morning, very deep topic. I think all of us in this room are going to relate to, to what we're going to talk about this morning, but I want our hearts to be prepared. And uh, so I want us just to take a moment. Just, I'm, I'm so grateful we've had a chance to sing and give and be generous, but I want to just ask the Lord to just speak to our hearts right now and to open our, our eyes and our ears to what He has to say. So Lord, as we open up Your Word, we're, we're so blessed to have it in front of us to, and so blessed to have it in our lives. And so we want to just ask that you will open up, Lord, our ears, open up the eyes of our hearts so that we truly may hear and see what it is that you want us to know this morning. And so we pray that you will, we, we just lay our hearts and our lives, so we bow ourselves before you and ask you to work in our hearts this morning. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. I don't know if you've ever found yourself in this place, but I think all of us at some place in our lives have found ourselves in this moment where we just go, you know, if, if only, if only I had this or if only certain things would happen in my life, then I, would, then I could truly be content. If only this were to happen, then I would truly be happy. If only I had more money or if I had a better job or if my marriage was perfect or even better than what it is right now, then, then I really could be content in life. I mean, I really would be able to achieve the happiness that I'm looking for. And, um, and I got to tell you, I've had moments like that, I'm sure you have, and, and I just always go, I, you know, I've had some of those things, and I've done some of those things, but it really doesn't do what we hope it will do. And um, a few weeks ago, um, we, our staff found an interview that uh, CBS did a few years ago on one of the most, pop- most popular athletes of our day. Most of you will recognize him, some of you may not. But every time I see this, and, I, and I, this is the second time today I'm going to see it, I'm always struck with, um, with how this interview plays out and what is said at the very end of it. And you'll recognize this guy right from the get-go. But I want you to listen very carefully to, to what this guy says about just his pursuit to try to find happiness and meaning to life. I do. I have three Super Bowl rings and, and still think there's something greater out there for me. I mean, maybe a lot of people would say, hey, man, this is what it is. I reached my goal, my dream, my life is me. I thank God. 
It's got to be more than this. What's the answer? I wish I knew. I wish I knew. I love playing football, and I love being the quarterback for this team. And But at the same time, I think there's a lot of other parts about me that I'm trying to find. Now, every time I see it, I just go, this is amazing, because here's a guy who is worth more than $60 million. He's married to the highest-paid supermodel in the world. He plays for one of the most successful football teams in in, in NFL history. He's won three Super Bowls. He's been the MVP of two of those Super Bowls. And he says, there's got to be more. And the guy says, what's the answer? And he goes, "I, I just don't know. I just don't know. I want to get uh, us to get our Bibles, and, and I want you to turn to the book of Ecclesiastes. Uh, we're in chapter 2 this morning, and we're going to pick up where we were last week. The book of Ecclesiastes was written by King Solomon. He was the son of, of, of the great King David, Israel's greatest king. He, he ruled, King Solomon ruled Israel as a king uh, for 40 years. I told you last week that the Bible says that he was richer and wiser than anyone that had lived before him. I mean, this is the guy. I mean, he, he's like the Tom Brady of the Bible. He is the guy who had it all. But just like so many people in the world today, when it, when it, when it came to answering the question, like, what's my purpose in life? Or what's the meaning of life? Or what, what can I, where can I truly find true satisfaction in life? Here's a guy that desperately struggled. I mean, like Tom Brady, he came to this conclusion that, that there just there has to be more. And so Ecclesiastes is a firsthand account of Solomon's struggles as he set out to try to find meaning and satisfaction in life. And last week, as we looked at chapter 1, we read that Solomon basically took two different paths in hopes to get his questions answered. First, he walked down the intellectual path to try to find answers. He, he may have studied every religious philosophy that was out there to try to find answers. He, he may have looked at all of the, the different idols that were being worshipped by different nations or the foreign gods that different nations would, would build monuments to. And I'm sure he studied all of those. And he, he probably surrounded himself with, with the leading philosophers and, and listened to them as they talk and maybe read some of their writings. Just, just trying desperately to to find something that would make sense of his life. But the Bible tells us that he became so frustrated and, and with what he was learning and discovering and, and by the fact that none of it just added up, that, that, that he just, just got to this place where he just said vanity. It just didn't provide the answers he was looking for. So he, he took all of that, threw it aside, and he threw caution to the wind, and he took a different path. And he, he calls it madness and folly. And he immersed himself in personal wealth. He immersed himself in his hobbies. He, he had uh, tons of women. He immersed himself in his power. And, and, and by themselves, some of the things that Solomon did, some of the things that he pursued under the title of folly, some of them would fall into the sinful category and some of it wouldn't. But where Solomon crossed the line into this arena of sin is when he took good things and he made them his idols. He immersed himself into foolish pursuits, and he tried to find meaning to life in those things that he had accumulated, those things that he actually owned. He tried to, to take seemingly good things and make them the ultimate things, and by the end, he looked at all of it, and he just said vanity, meaningless, a chasing after the wind. Now, some of you, honestly, you can relate to this. Some of you are on a maybe a very intellectual journey this morning. You're looking at the landscape of your life, looking at the landscape of of religion. Maybe you've grown up in the South and you've watched 
religion played out here in the South, and, and you've studied that, and you've watched Christians, and you're, you know, you're trying to get your mind around all of that. Does that make any sense to you? And, and you're looking at the, the different options that are out there when it comes to religion, or just trying to make sense of life, or God himself, does, it eat, does God even exist? And some of you are, are on that intellectual journey this morning, trying to make sense of all of it. Some of you, maybe you're trying to find meaning to life by accumulating more and more material possessions. You're just getting more stuff. Or, or, or maybe you're trying to find meaning by being in the right relationship or climbing uh, you know, some kind of corporate ladder. And then there's some of you who um, you, you have a deep understanding in your heart that meaning and purpose are only found in Jesus Christ. And you may even consider yourself a Christ follower, but your priorities are, are totally out of whack this morning. You've taken good things and you've turned them into the ultimate things and they've become idols in your life and you have yet to settle the issue that Jesus is truly enough. And you're actually straddling the fence. You've got your foot in, you know, the idea of Christianity, the idea of following Jesus, but you've got this other foot out there just kind of dangling and you keep dipping it into other things thinking that there might be something to add to this that that might make more sense or might, you know, bring more meaning or, you know, you, know, you want to kind of keep your options open in case you're wrong. Let me say this out of a, just a heart of deep love and concern for every one of you in, in this room this morning. Re- regardless of what path you are currently on, any path outside of the one that leads to Jesus being the center of your life is ultimately going to lead you to the very same conclusion that Solomon came to. Vanity meaningless emptiness chapter 2 Solomon gives us a a little bit more detail on on what his personal pursuit looked like he he lays out three very specific things that that he chased after to to try to find meaning and purpose in life and and, uh, the first thing that he immersed himself in he calls it pleasure and in verse 1 he says I said in my heart come now I will test you with pleasure Enjoy yourself. But behold, this was also vanity. I said of laughter, it's mad. And in pleasure, what use is it? And I searched with my heart how to cheer my body with wine, my heart still guiding me with wisdom, and how to lay hold on folly till I might see what was good for the children of man to do under the sun during the few days of their life. You get down into um, the ending part of verse 8, and here's what he says. He says, I got singers, both men and women, and many concubines, the delights of the sons of men. And he says in verse 10, And whatever my eyes desired, I did not keep from them. I kept my heart from no pleasure. Now, don't miss this picture of what Solomon's painting in these verses. He says, he says I was the most powerful man of my time. I want you to think about this for a moment. Think about the most powerful ruler of the day, sitting at his dinner table, eating the best food, food, drinking the most expensive wine, being entertained by the most talented musicians and the entertainers of the day. I mean, it was, it was like Cirque du Soleil in the palace every night. I mean, whoever he wanted, you know, he'd be like thinking like, you know, one night I'm going to have Adele perform for me, or the other night it's going to be Whitney Houston, or it's going to be Luther Vandross, or whatever you're into. I got the Rolling Stones one night, you know, whatever... He had access to all of that. And I want you to remember as well, he had a lot of women. We learned last week that this guy had 700 wives and 300 concubines. And so to cap the night off after a whole night of, you know, of just dining and eating and entertaining, he, he would sleep with a different woman every night. Solomon's telling us in these verses that this was his life. Any pleasure he wanted, he pursued it, he chased it, he immersed himself in it to try to find meaning to life. 
And then he tells us about this endless collection of possessions that he has. He says in verse eight, 4, he says, I made great works. I built houses and planted vineyards for myself. I made myself gardens and parks and planted them, uh, planted in them all kinds of fruit trees. And I made myself pools from which to water the forest of growing trees. He said, I bought male and fail, uh, female slaves and had slaves who were born in my house. I had also great possessions of herds and flocks, more than any who had been before me in Jerusalem. I also gathered for myself silver and gold in the treasure of kings and provinces. I got singers, both men and women, and many concubines, the delights of the sons of man. Solomon just basically lists out. He lists out all of the stuff that he, that he had and all the stuff that, that he tried to work to, to gain. He says, I built houses, I built cities, I built gardens, I had vineyards, I had forests, I actually built a water system to, to water all of it. He said, I had parks, I had, I had entire orchards of fruit trees. I had slaves that not only belonged to me that were born in my house, but he says, I, I had slaves that I bought who came in and worked for me. He collected animals. You talk about a guy with, with, with an awesome zoo. And this guy, I mean, he, just, he said, I, I, I just got animals from all over the world. 1 Kings chapter 10 tells us that Solomon made for himself a throne made of ivory that was overlaid with gold. There were six steps leading up to the throne, and on each side of, of, of his steps there were statues of lions, and then there were two more lions on, on, on each side of the armrest of his throne. We also read in that chapter that Solomon had a fleet of ships stationed in, in a port of city called Tarshish, and, 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 and they would go out and they would return every three years with gold and silver and, and ivory and apes and peacocks. And apparently if you had apes and peacocks, it represented some wealth back then. So he had a pretty awesome collection of apes and peacocks. But it also says he owned 1,400 chariots. He had 12,000 horsemen at his disposal. First Kings 10 tells us that Solomon had more possessions than anyone on the entire earth. Now, I want to tell you something. There is nothing wrong with having beautiful gardens, owning animals. If you've got a few peacocks, more power to you, okay? If you've got an ape, you're in trouble. But listen, having tremendous wealth, and none of it, none, none of it he's not saying that any of it was wrong. But what happened was these things became idols to Solomon. They weren't just good things to Solomon. They became the ultimate things to him. Needless to say, he also had an enormous amount of power. Verse 9 says, So I became great and surpassed all who were before me in Jerusalem. Also my wisdom remained with me. If you go into 1 Kings 10, it says, And the whole earth sought the presence of Solomon to hear his wisdom, which God had put in his, into his mind. Every one of them brought his present articles of silver, gold, garments, myrrh, spices, horses, and mules, so much year by year. Solomon was not only the most powerful ruler in Jerusalem, he was also the most powerful, sought-out man in the entire world. He made the Dosekis guy look like cheap stuff. I mean, this guy was the most interesting man in the world. I mean, this, everybody came from all over the place to, to, to see him. Rulers from other nations would travel to seek out his wisdom. They'd bring gifts just to be able to sit down in his presence. But if you look back at the verses in, in 11 and, and 17 and 18 from this chapter, you see where his pursuit of, of, of pleasure, possessions, and power left him. Look at verse 11. It says, Then I considered all that my hands had done and the toil I had expended in doing it and behold all was vanity it was a striving after the wind and there was nothing to be gained under the sun and then he says in verse 17 listen don't miss this so I hated life 
Because what is done unto the sun was grievous to me, for all is vanity and a striving after the wind. I hated all my toil in which I toil under the sun, seeing that I must leave it to the man who will come after me. Now I want you to clearly understand what he has just said here. He said the pursuit of pleasure, the pursuit of possessions and power left him feeling like he was chasing the wind. Taking good things and making them ultimate things made him feel like he was spinning his wheels. He said his pursuits were pointless. He gained nothing from them. He set out, like many of us do, he set out on this on this pursuit for freedom and happiness, and what he ended up with was a feeling of emptiness. Matter of fact, the more he had, the less satisfied he felt. But what did Solomon want? He just wanted what most people want. He wanted to be happy. He wanted to feel fulfilled with life. He wanted to feel inner peace and contentment. He wanted to experience joy. He just wanted to be able to to put his head on his pillow at night knowing that his life was not being lived in vain. But none of these things that Solomon immersed himself in, all of the stuff that he did, it, it just didn't deliver what he was looking for. Instead, it did just the opposite. D- don't miss what he said. Because I believe it's one of the most powerful verses in, or statements in, in the entire book of Ecclesiastes. He said, so I hated life. The guy who had it all hated life. Why? Because he got trapped into thinking like so many of us do, that if I could just have this, or if I could have that, then I'd be happier. The guy who who had accumulated everything that we could ever want, the guy who says it, I had it all, says to us, been there, done that, and it doesn't deliver what ultimately you're looking for. And he says, I started hating what what I was living for. I started hating what I was working for because I came to the conclusion that one day I'm going to die and I'm going to leave everything that I've accomplished and everything that I've worked so hard to gain, I'm going to leave it all to someone else, another person who may be a fool. He feared that whoever got all of his stuff might take it all, accumulate it all, and just waste it away. (laughs) And guess what happened? Well... After Solomon died, his son Rehoboam inherited all of his stuff and he wasted it away. Now all of this brought Solomon to a couple of conclusions. All of this pursuit just kind of brought him to a couple of thoughts. And I want to share those with you. First of all, pleasure, possessions, and power are not inherently evil. Let me explain what I mean by that. We live in a world, I mean, in a, in a culture that, that constantly tells us more stuff, more power, more pleasure, more, more the, the more that we pursue, the more satisfaction out of life we're going to get. And as we just read Solomon, he says, you know what? It's, it's, it's just not true. You can have the entire world at your fingertips. You can have more than, than you know what to do with and, and still just be miserable. You can seem to have it all and still hate your life. I mean, all you have to do is look at you know, look at Hollywood, actors, actresses, you look at the music world, singers, all kinds of people, you look at the sports world, you know, people making millions and millions of dollars with multi-year contracts, and some of the most miserable people you've ever seen are in some of those industries. However, as a guy that has grown up in church and now leads a church, I want to share with you a couple of observations that I have made as I've watched people over the years try to deal with and reconcile the issue of pleasure, power, and possessions. Okay, Because all of us are, are going to be drawn to one of those things. Pleasure, power, possessions. 
you, you have one camp, and, it, and honestly, it's the camp that I grew up in that says that enjoying any kind of pleasure is wrong. If you have too many possessions, somehow you're greedy or your priorities are messed up. Or if you have too much power, you know, you're arrogant or you're sinful or, you know, something like that. And I think, I, I think some of you know exactly what I'm talking about because, like me, you grew up in a church where if you enjoyed anything, anything that seemed just to be the slight bit worldly, you had this big brother named Jesus who was always looking over your shoulder ready to whack you down. And I remember growing up in, in the church that I grew up in, I, I'll never, I, I, you know, get out of our car and there was these steps that you would go up into to go into the main lobby. And right at the top of the steps, there was this picture of Jesus. And he looked so serene. And he just, he had olive skin, he had green eyes, he had long flowing, you know, light brown hair, which he was, he was Jewish. He wasn't Scottish. And, and, but I remember, I, I always remember, I'm, I'm telling you, I remember walking up the stairs and I'd look at Jesus and I'd go, man, you look so happy. Why are you so mad at me all the time? You look, you, you look nice, you look serene, you look so peaceful, but I just feel like you're always mad at me. You know what it's like? I mean, I, I just, every time I, just, I would see him, i go, I just don't get this. You know, it was like Jesus was always looking over my shoulder, at least how I, was, how I felt, always wanting to give me a holy smackdown. And everyone had their own list of what worldly looked like. You know, if you cross this line, then you're worldly. You're, you know, if you cross this line, then, you know, and everyone had their different list. So for those of you that maybe, maybe didn't grow up as Christians, maybe what has kept you from the church or even from Christianity is watching Christians like me or others as we've grown into, you know, tr- trying to figure all of this out, trying to manage that tension. It just, it looked miserable to you. I mean, who wants to sign up for that? You know, peaceful, serene Jesus who's got this wicked side that wants to whack you all the time. I mean, the, the world, I mean, we, they watch Christians, they go, man, I don't want to sign up for that. Let me tell you the problem with painting pleasure, possessions, and power in this negative light. Here, here, here's the problem. The problem is the Bible. For those of you in the room that, you know, you're just thinking, wait a minute. I'm, I'm not sure I agree with you on that. I want you to look at verse 24 in Ecclesiastes 2. Here's what it says. There's nothing better for a person than that he should eat and drink and, and find enjoyment in his toil. This also, I saw, is from the hand of God. For apart from him, who can eat or who can have enjoyment? Here's what Solomon's saying here. He's saying, he listens, he's saying, God, God gives us all that we have. He gives, he gives us things to enjoy. He disperses those things as he pleases, and we need to be thankful, and we need to enjoy it for his glory. You know, and I know some of you, you struggle with God's disbursement program. You know, it's like, hey, wait a minute. These people got more than these people. We don't like that. You know, God, you're unfair. And so we struggle with some of that stuff. But regardless of what God has dispersed to you and what he's put in your... At the end of the day, we need to take all of those things and we need to use them for his glory. We need, to, we need to enjoy what God has blessed us with and we need to be constantly figuring out ways how to take those things and to engage them, to be generous with those things that God has blessed us with, to expand his kingdom. And time and time again, Solomon makes a statement in this book. He says, enjoy the things that God's given you. Enjoy your life and be thankful to him. Same that we find this in the New Testament, the Apostle Paul. In 1 Timothy 6.17, God gives us everything in order for us to enjoy his blessings in this life. Now, I hope that that frees some of you up today because there's nothing worse than someone who knows Jesus, who, you know, has just walks through life miserable all the time. 
feeling, you know, just somehow or another that, you know, you're just constantly, there's, you know, this big brother just wanting to whack you all over the place, all right? Now, with that being said, let me put it all into perspective. I want to give some clarifying truth so that, that, that it's all in perspective. Even though pleasure and power and possessions are not inherently evil and can be viewed as a blessing from God and should be enjoyed, we all need to understand that pleasure, possessions, and power make terrible gods. And here's what I mean by this. When we hold pleasure and possessions and power up as the ultimate thing in our lives, when our life's purpose is simply just to gain those things, when we attempt to make those things the ultimate source of our happiness and our value and our self-worth and our joy and our contentment, what we've done is we've actually made these things the gods of our lives. And the reason these things make terrible gods is because they're temporary. They're fleeting. And they can be ripped away from us at any moment. When the center of your universe revolves around anything outside of a personal relationship with Jesus Christ, listen, we are constantly living in danger of seeing our purpose and our hope and our joy and our self-worth and our satisfaction. We're constantly being in danger of those things being ripped out of our lives. And what we see in Ecclesiastes chapter 2 is Solomon coming to the conclusion that by taking the good things of life and by making them the ultimate things, what we're actually doing is we're making them God things. And none of these things were ever designed to deliver what we are constantly in this pursuit of hoping that they're going to deliver. Contentment and joy and hope and peace. And when Solomon finally comes to this realization that one day he's going to die and, and he can't take any of this stuff with him, all of these accomplishments with he confesses that making any of these things the center of your life, he, see, he just says it's pointless, it's meaningless, it's purposeless. He calls it vanity. Trying to find ultimate purpose and satisfaction in pleasure, possessions, and power, he says, is like chasing the wind. So let me talk to you today, those of you here today whose identity, maybe your identity is, is wrapped up in your job or how much money you make or the stuff you have or, or how many people answer to you or how much fun that you have on the weekends or how well your kids are excelling in sports, whatever that may be. If you are the person in this room who, who, who relies on anything outside of Jesus Christ to provide ultimate joy, lasting satisfaction in your life, I want you to understand today that you're missing out on what God created you to be and you're never going to find the true satisfaction and the lasting joy that you're looking for in this life by pursuing good things while ignoring the God who is the giver of all of the good things. Now I want to remind you what we talked about last week in Ecclesiastes 3.11. God has set eternity in our hearts. In other words, God has created us with, with eternal life and eternal purposes in mind. His, his simple purpose for our lives is to know Him, to love Him, to be loved by Him, to love others around us, and to make Him known to others around us. And He has put in our hearts this sense that there has to be something more to life than living for self. There has to be more to this life than centering our lives on temporary things and relationships that the world has to offer. And he's put inside of all of us this desire to find purpose to life and to find meaning in life. And, and, and the great thing is, with all of that, is he's not playing hide-and-seek with any of it. He's created this, this void inside of our hearts. And he said, and I've given you the answer to fill it. Jesus Christ. 
It's not hide and seek. I'm not, I'm not playing a big game with the universe. I'm not like, here, you keep doing this, this, this. You want? Here he is. I created a void inside of you. Here's all these things that you try to fill it with. Here's my answer. And until you do that, you're going to feel meaningless. You're going to feel purpose. I mean, if you don't hear anything else I say this morning, I want you to hear this. Jesus is the answer. And Jesus plus nothing, I want you to know, equals everything. In other, in other words, Jesus is enough. Anything you try to add to Jesus is going to become an idol. It's going to become a God. It's a temporary filler. Let me say something to, to all of you out of deep love. I mean, I, deep concern for you this morning, and I pray that you'll hear this. What you're doing by making good things that God has blessed you with, like money or a platform or a job or a relationship, what, what you're doing with any of those things, if they have truly become the ultimate thing in your life, is you're living in sin and you're worshiping idols. Whoa! Soren Kierkegaard, theologian who lived in the 1800s, said it this way, sin is building your self-worth on anything other than God. Anytime we look at anything other than Jesus for purpose, for meaning, for joy, for self-worth, listen, we're trusting, we're trusting in those things as to be something that they could never be. None of those things will ever offer us what Jesus can offer us. And ultimately, what it comes down to when we get into this mess, this little mess, it's a worship problem. When we take good things and make them the ultimate things, they become sinful things. And ultimately, listen, here's what you're doing. You're putting your hope and your trust in things that could never, they will never provide what you're looking for, which is meaning and purpose and joy and peace and contentment. And most of us in this room have a moment in our lives, or maybe you're there right now where you can go, I, I've been there, been there, done that. I know what you're talking about. I've had a few moments. I, you know, most of you know, if you've been here for long enough, you know that I love baseball. I mean, I have a room in my house that's pretty much all Detroit Tigers. All right, and uh, my boys love baseball. I, I, I played baseball from the time I was five to the age of twenty. I had, I had the opportunity to play college baseball. In my sophomore year, I played at a very, very good school, Dallas Baptist University. The last couple of years, they've been in the real close to getting into the, the uh, final part of the College World Series, and played against some great schools. But baseball was my god, and the, the reason I know that is because all of my emotions up and I mean. If I played well or did well, whatever, it was just up and down. All my relationships were all based around, you know, what was going on with baseball. And, I mean, I actually, I mean, I knew I was supposed to be in ministry when I was in ninth grade, and I walked away from that my freshman year for very, several reasons, but one of them was I just, baseball. And, uh, and nothing wrong with baseball. I just want you to know I love baseball. Okay, go Braves, all right. Um, but it had become... The folk, it, beco it, be it had become the center of my universe. And after my sophomore year, I transferred to Liberty University, and I'm going out for the baseball team there, and I ended up tearing my shoulder, and that was it. Had surgery, tore it again. And I look back on that, and I go, thank you, God. Because I'd have kept pursuing it. I was going to go, I mean, I, I played as long as, as God allowed me to play, but I would have played it until, even though I knew that my priorities were out of whack. Even though I knew, I mean, I'd put my relationship with Jesus on the side and just said, Jesus, you know what? As long as you're helping me with baseball, we're good. Here's the point. 
Listen, I've been down that road, and many of you, trying to find happiness and fulfillment outside of God. And I've experienced the emptiness, that feeling, the emptiness that comes when we take good things and we make them the ultimate things in our lives. It truly is like chasing the wind. Because true freedom, true joy, and contentment comes when we're able to take the good things that God has given us and we're able to offer them up to Him for His glory and for His purposes. So let me close by asking you this. What are you truly building your self-worth on today? High school girls, high school guys, college girls, what, what are you truly building your worth on today? What are you trying to find joy in? Who's the, who, who is that person? Who, what's that thing that you're depending on to fill a void that only God can fill? And here's the invitation. Whatever, whatever you're basing all your self-worth on, whatever you're looking in to, you know, for, to, for ultimate satisfaction or joy in life, I, I want to I just challenge you to surrender those things today and start pursuing the God that, that truly is the only one that can fill those voids and to start living your life with the eternal purposes that you were created to live for. Matthew chapter 6, verse 33, one of my favorite verses. It just, it just helps us to keep things in perspective. Seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness and let everything else flow out of that. He says, seek me first, my righteousness, and everything else will be added unto you. In other words, he'll make everything else out. He'll make everything else work out for his glory. So what's the next step that you need to take for, to, to, to be obedient to Christ this morning? How can you take your pleasure your power and your possessions, all the stuff that God's given you, whatever that looks like, and how can you honor him with those things? How can you keep them from being the ultimate things, letting those good things be God things for, you know, for his glory? And how can any of your pursuits right now, how can you line those up so that they bring focus and glory to Christ? When, 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 this is our, when this is where we focus, when we land, it's our first consideration, listen, listen, then we're going to be able to exalt him above everything else and we're going to be able to get ourselves in a proper place where we're able to go, God, you're the giver of all good things. And Lord, I'm able to receive good things because I've learned to give them back up to you and to not let them be the God things in my life. I want us to bow our heads right now. You know, this is a great moment, I think, for our church just to take a moment and just evaluate all that God's given you. Whether it's things to enjoy, maybe put it in the pleasure category, or, or, or we look at when this, maybe it's the possessions category, just all of the stuff that you have. Or it's just influence or power or authority, whatever God's given you. I want you to think about all of it. And I want you to ask yourself the question, are things in proper perspective? Is Jesus enough or do I have to have any of these things to make me feel fulfilled, to make me happy, to make true joy and contentment be part of my life? And, and, and if the answer is yes, then I want to have a moment where we just repent. And I want you to clearly understand that good things can become sinful things when they become the ultimate things. You know what? What do I do with that? 
and just confess them to the Lord, lay them down at the cross and go, just say, thank, Lord, thank you for this. If it's something sinful, just, Lord, I'm sorry. Tell them what it is. But if it's something that's not in the sinful category, but it's become an idol, just lay it down at the foot of the cross. And God's, he may not ask you to walk away from it. He just wants to maybe put it in perspective. Just have a moment where we repent. We do business with God just on some of these issues. If you're here this morning and, and you truly have never settled the issue of salvation, the issue of, of Jesus, the place of Jesus Christ in your life, and you have found yourself trying to find meaning through maybe your intellectual pursuits or even the pursuit of, of, of pleasure and possessions and power, and you just, you're running into where Solomon just kept coming back to meaningless, pointless, vanity. Uh, let me go back to what I said. Jesus is the answer, and he's enough. And God's not playing a game of hide-and-seek with you. It's right in front of you. He sent His Son, Jesus, to the cross to die for every one of your sins so that things could be right between you and God. He made a way for you to know Him personally, to have eternal life, and to truly find the joy and contentment and peace in life that you've been created to find only in Jesus. And if that's where you need to be this morning. You need to put all your faith and trust in Jesus because you've never done that. I want to give you that opportunity. I don't know what to do. Just pray with me right now. Say, Lord, at this moment, I want to tell you I'm sorry. I am truly sorry, Lord, that I have up to this moment rejected the gift of salvation. I've rejected Jesus. Lord, I have tried everything or so many different paths and it just has landed me into the meaningless category. And so this morning, Lord, Jesus Christ, I confess it with my mouth, is the Son of God. He's the Savior of the world. He's the Savior of my life. And I take all of my faith and all of my trust and I put it on the cross alone on what Jesus has done for me. And I receive salvation into my life. And I receive Jesus Christ to be my personal Lord and Savior. I ask you to wipe the slate clean allow me to learn to walk with you. If you made that commitment this morning, on your uh, connection card, there's a place for you to let us know. There's a box that says, this morning I pray to receive Jesus Christ as my Savior. Would you fill that out for us? Take it to the Help Center. And I want you to just give it to them. We want to help you to take the next step on your walk to following Jesus. For the rest of us, I want us to stand. We're going to worship. We're going to celebrate what God has done in our lives. I, I hope you've known there's a theme through all the songs, the prayers, everything that we've done this morning. And it all focuses on Jesus being the answer and about our pursuits and, and the things that we do outside of Jesus. It's all a chasing after the wind. And so, Lord, as we end this time together with you today, Father, my heart is that we would worship you, that we would come to this place Lord, where all of us are able to step back, to step back in our lives and to go, okay, I'm, I'm focusing in. Lord, I'm, I, I'm, I'm, I'm taking all of the good things, regardless of what category they fall into, Lord, and I'm putting them in their proper place. I'm putting them in, in proper perspective. And I'm proclaiming at this very moment, Jesus is Lord of my life and Lord of everything in my life. And I want to walk out of here with that with, with that acknowledgement and having made that commitment today. 
In Jesus' name, amen.